Hi, everyone. Hey, we're back for another episode of Food in the Hood. Episode ten, we made it, y'all. We almost made it. I still have to cut this. We almost made it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next goal is episode one hundred. We'll get DJM on here. Oh god, are we announcing <laughs> that? We shouldn't. Oh no, 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 no! I'm just saying that for shits and giggles. Okay. Okay. And yes. so, what's going on this week? We recorded last well, week. <laughs> Yeah. So, given that we both have a freer schedule, I think our plan is to start recording more frequently. And also because we actually started promoting our podcast a little bit more and the positive burden. feedback. Exactly. Well, yes, burden, but also like it's rewarding hearing from other people who are listening to our podcast. Yeah, there were. Um, so, for those who are off social media or actually doesn't know us. Uh, <laughs> In person, in person, in person, or connected <laughs> on social media, we did a run of uh, promotion finally for our podcast. Yeah. So I posted on LinkedIn, which is I don't know, it's a little bit professional, but I think I see all kinds of stuff on LinkedIn, so I wasn't that ashamed to post it on LinkedIn. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, like people do things. It's very career and subject matter dominated, I guess. And I so. guess this is part of. It's not a career, but it's professional related, I guess. Right,、uh-huh. right, right. So、yeah. um, I at Amanda on my post and just talked about how we started this, and now we're trying to back on, get back on the track again and just try to yep, get. Yep, and then、here. I posted it on Facebook as well.、Mm-hmm. And actually, Ben, you said you have a couple of friends who texted you talking about their、oh, yeah. like, reaction. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So. There were a few people from Kansas State and Minnesota. They were we were、um, we either we know each other and work in food science field, and they were like,、right. "Oh, it's amazing that they did this very rewarding feeling." Yeah. yeah, and someone even gave us the compliment. Oh my god, I need to go and find that check record. But someone was saying we are、uh, what is it called necessity for food science grad students stuck in traffic. Yeah, <laughs> which I think is a fairly high honor. Yeah, but but to be <laughs> fair though, there wherever at least in the United States,、um, schools with food science major don't quite get a lot of traffic. I feel. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. but、um, yeah. you know, Columbus for sure, Minneapolis. Definitely. Right,、uh-huh. right. More crowded places. Right, right, right. Yep. So I guess、um, our what we wanted to talk about today is something that is sort of been popular for the past few years, not just within food science, but across many other disciplines and industry,、mm-hmm. um, which is data science. And I guess we wanted to sort of explore that intersection between food science and data science. Exactly. So. Kind of look at what's been in progress for the past few years,、um, and how how we got into it. Yeah, this is we we kind of had this story back.、Um, for those who don't know, that Amanda and I went to undergraduate together in food science,、mm-hmm. and in undergraduate, you're you're learning the basics and set up the overall understanding of food science. And we graduated in the same year, and both went on graduate school in different、uh, universities. But for some reason, we ended up <laughs> in、uh, like the rapid detection method development、uh, yeah, area. Yeah.、Uh, do you want to fill in to people what、yeah. that is? Sure. So, rapid detection method used for like food quality or screening purposes in food science is pretty common. So, and by rapid detection methods, I mostly am talking about spectroscopy techniques.、Mm-hmm. So, spectroscopy is essentially the interaction of light with matter, right? So, Jeez, that's, you that's can think、so、of it. <laughs> that's what our professor always says. It's like ingrained. It's literally <laughs> engraved into my mind. Okay.、Um, but think about it. If you photon, shoot radiation, <laughs> oh yeah, well that too. But if you shoot radiation at food. That food is gonna react differently, and based on sort of、uh, its absorbance, etc., we can make judgments about the food, right?、Mm-hmm. So that's what we do. And I think you do something something similar in your lab, right, Ben? Yes, yes.、Um, so there are different type of radiation, aka different type of light that you can、uh, shine to an object. Doesn't have to be food. 
and、mm -hmm. you can measure different responses such as you know reflectance, transmission, and all that. Transmittance, transmittance, transmission. Transmittance. Transmittance. I think <laughs> people use both. Okay. Anyways, so we can.、Uh, so, but what what we want to get into or nowadays is the is how you use these spectra or these、uh, response that you get, which typically we call、mm -hmm. it a spectrum.、Um, so that involves、uh, chemometrics or what? What do you define chemometrics, Gash? Well. I think chemometrics started way back in the field of chemistry,、yes. where people would get very complex data across multiple variables.、Um, so, for instance, if you're taking like a reading of an instrument, or if you're running HPLC or GC or etc.,、um, you would so basically you have tons of information. So if you if you perform analysis on one sample, right?、Mm -hmm. Like let's say if you're just measuring, okay, what is the viscosity of the sample? That's only one measurement. But for chemometrics, we're talking about multiple hundreds and thousands of data points for just one sample, and there there needs to be a way for us to sort of extract valuable information from、yeah. these. Hordes of data, so I think that's where chemometrics came in. Right, 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 right. It's essentially using tools to extract useful information from, um, from from a big set of chemical data, and then we've taken that and also applied it into other disciplines, including including food. Yeah.、Um, but essentially, I think chemometrics is kind of kicked off in chemistry and then spread to other avenues as well. Right.、Um, so it's used a lot in food analysis, food and drug analysis,、um, in like forensic chemistry, I think, because you can analyze、mm -hmm. blood、yeah. for a lot of things and find evidence. Yes, and also a lot in、um, food adulteration and food safety. So that's what I would say in food science. I see it mostly utilized. In either a food quality setting, where, for instance,、uh, a manufacturer might want to quickly profile,、uh, for instance, their flour or their、uh, harvest, etc.,、mm -hmm. and they want to look at multiple parameters like moisture, protein, fat, all at the same time. So, right, right,、um, right. Rapid detection methods based on chemometrics is a fast way to do that.、Um, another way I see it being utilized a lot is in the field of adulteration. Right. So in detecting adulteration,、mm -hmm. you need to build these giant data sets with examples, right? So you need to collect a lot of data.、Um, you need to collect data on multiple parameters. So I think those two are where I see it the most widely used. Right, right. And so just to be clear, that the tools that we're talking about here are actually data processing tools, and、um, they're、right. they're they're all in the software. So. Essentially, the method is very. These type of rapid methods are very、uh, popular among manufacturers because of the ease of use and the quick,、mm -hmm. rapid response that they can get. It is one、right. of the benefits over the the more traditional wet chemistry based methods, which can take a long time and very、um, labor intensive at the same time. So, essentially. These methods are are not as so. This is like a separate topic on how 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 standardized these methods are.、Um, but、mm -hmm. in general, these methods are pretty specific to the product or to what you are analyzing. Essentially, the idea is that you can use the same instrument. For example, it's a, a infrared a spectrometer. You can use it to measure different type of food, but、um, you have to train them. You have to develop models to calibrate the spectrometer. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so then, so then the hardware part isn't that hard、um, to, to to implement. Well, it it still has a lot of different things, but just to make make a use of it, it's not very hard. You still have to think about you know implementing it into the plan or. How to do it in a smaller form factor? That's what Amanda's、mm -hmm. lab is specialized in. <laughs> right, right. But essentially, you just, for the most part, you scan your sample, right, right? right? And I think the more complex part is what goes into building that model,、uh -huh. like Ben said, yeah, that、right. allows you to 
get useful information from that scan. And that really leads, um, especially when we got into chemometrics and rapid method development, that was the wave or already almost peak of, do you think data science has peaked? Probably not, right? It's still, it's still in the growing, growing phase. Yeah, uh, it's definitely become a lot more popular than 10 years ago, but I don't feel like it's dying down anytime soon. No, 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 no. So, um, so it might be... So it's still, still on the upward rise. Yeah, 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 right. So it's still on the rise. So we um, we just heard a lot about data science in conjunction of chemometrics, because chemometrics is sort of OG way of saying building multivariate models using simpler right. and more accessible uh, algorithms right. or models. Yes, yes. And I think that's the thing too, right? Like if you talk about chemometrics, data science, machine learning, a lot of these terms bleed into each other a little bit. And it's hard for us to put an exact definition on them because we have been doing things similar to data science for a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. But not exact, but but at the same time, it's also a new discipline. So there are some things that I think maybe differentiates it a little bit from what people have been doing for hundreds of years. And because it is a fairly new field, a lot of people are still coming up with a, a very definite definition for like a better word for for what this means. Yeah, right. There. So this is still in a, I'd say in the late exploratory phase. Right. Um, of data science so essentially what got us into data science is the it's the, actually for me at least it's the tutorials online about data science right. and i can easily transform those into my modeling of uh, spectra data and right. um, that was what i thought you know data science is, is, is a great tool at least for some of the aspects in food science and in food manufacturing mm-hmm. processes because uh, we're, we're bombarded by data now and they, it can be used in different fields. And this is what really why data science has been emerging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's true. Because I think, I mean, it, it, it's, it kind of parallels our information age, right? Mm-hmm. Our ability to collect and not just collect, but store vast amount of data like we need a way to deal with it and like it's really a vast amount like i remember when i was in fourth grade i had like a 128 megabyte usb stick and i was like so happy i was like this is the best Uh (laughs) i like this is the biggest storage thing i've ever had and then now like that's nothing 128 megabyte Mm -hmm. like Hey, our song recording right now is probably exceeding 100 megabyte already. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This Audacity file is probably like a few, a couple hundred megabytes. Right, at least. So that's really, really, you know, we we, we cover how we discover data science and our daily interactions, at least in grad school, about data science. And later on, data science itself is getting a lot of bigger and people are Mm -hmm. raising attention to it. And that's really, you you know, why this episode kind of exists. And I want to talk about the sort of the history of food science. It kind of went through a very similar phase, in my opinion, at least, Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. that, you know, food science itself. And actually, I'll tell you this anecdote first. So uh, in back in University of Minnesota, there's a uh, adjunct professor. He is agronomist working on you know the evolution biology of agricultural crops and all that stuff one time we you know i i know him through 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 his wife i worked for his wife um in the horticultural department horticultural science and he was saying at the one of the you know the lunch meetings that we had that you know every discipline with a um the name of the discipline, if it consists such such science, it is mm-hmm. not really science. <laughs> and you know, I took it as a um, as a joke at first, yeah. but you know, I, I think what what he meant was that he was a fundamental scientist, right? So he does right. he does fundamental science on evolution and and how crops uh, agriculture 
corpse become corpse. But um, <laughs> what what I think is really interesting is if you think about it in in the field of at least ag research, you have like plant science, food science, animal science. Uh, yeah. But you could also identify yourself as an agronomist, a, a horticulturist, a mm -hmm. um, say, say a plant geneticist instead of calling yourself a plant scientist. Yeah, right? yeah. Or, there is a lot of words. And you can yep. you can say that you are a animal, uh, like uh, you you focus on autonomous. Uh, 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 you, you no, sorry. What was that word? You focus on like anatomy. Or you focus on mm -hmm. sort of the, the, the animal dietitians or different fields of, of animal science, right? Right. And that, that right. was really interesting to me to think about. And, and obviously, such such science as a discipline is definitely a later comer. Because mm -hmm. you have to have some other stuff first to kind of right. emerge using a noun to describe science and lead to a specific right. discipline. I think often it's like if you think about everything, if you think about food science research in general, it's 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 often I think a compilation of different techniques, and mm -hmm. like that the subject matter is food, right? But it's a compilation of different techniques from different um, quote and unquote pure disciplines, right? Yeah, and mm -hmm. I think you know. But, yeah. but then the goal of, say, food science or data science is to use other disciplines, tools, and apply it on this descriptive note. We can use a lot of analytical chemistry to help us understand food and innovate yep. food. Yep. And the specific instrument that really just for food isn't wildly used. It's not transformable as much as other, like say, if, for example, like a phrenograph, it's, mm -hmm. it's used for like dough texture tests, but it's, right, right. but it's just used for dough tests, right? If you want to test plastic, there are probably some other stuff that you yeah. can use for material yeah. science. Mm -hmm. And I think I think that's a I think that's a good point, right? I'm just trying to tie this into an example that someone outside the discipline can understand. So, for instance, uh -huh. if someone and we can make a parallel example in data science, and I think it will become clearer why there are so many parallels. Because I do agree with what you said about a lot of different disciplines feeding into food science. Mm -hmm. um, but if you think about a research project, let's say, for instance, a company wants to try a different type of <laughs> a different type a different type of pea protein extraction method. Sure, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't your, ask me where I got my inspiration for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. But go ahead. and and let's say, um, you know, they try three or four different processing methods using different engineering disciplines. Um, they produce three to four different products, but they need to test it for various um, qualities that is important for their function in food. Mm -hmm. So for instance, their solubility, etc. So that, that's, that's using a lot of principles from chemistry, but then they also have to make sure that is consumer is acceptable for consumers, right? So they also have to run sensory tests on it mm -hmm. and they might also choose to run flavor analysis to see, you know, how does different extraction method affect, um, the the kind of flavor of that pea protein yes so, so in that way right in that way you're trying to achieve one um, objective and you're trying to do it to do it to one food product but you're really using a lot of you're using the techniques and basic principles of a lot of other dif uh, different disciplines to be able to reach your final goal mm -hmm. and i think and th yeah. that's something that can be probably said about data science. Oh, for sure. Which is yeah. you... right. And that's the that's the that's the example you're trying to make, right? Yeah, basically that that ex that's exactly what I wanted to illustrate here is that no matter is data or is food, that object is being tested 
or being analyzed by multiple scientific disciplines tools, tools coming from different scientific disciplines. For example, it can be using chemistry to understand food or use statistics to understand data. Right. And the goal of all these tests or all these methods is not to innovate whatever that tool is. You're not focusing on that tool. You're focusing on using that tool to solve a problem within either food or data. Uh, I feel like some data scientists who are like crazy about their GitHub account and right, right, you know right. trying but, to come up with the next TensorFlow might disagree. But yes,、uh, in principle, <laughs> right, right, right. But, but no, they're but they're 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 using like a better, they're building a better tool to solve the data problem. Right, right, right. They're not fundamental、um, statisticians who just wants、right. to develop more theories or newer. Yeah. It's very、theories. practical application application based. Right, 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 and they they probably come up with a newer algorithm because they want to solve a specific problem. Yeah. Uh huh. And typically, the foundation of that algorithm wasn't directly developed by the data scientist. They were probably、mm-hmm. hiding somewhere else, and、mm-hmm. data scientists just kind of discovered it. Yeah. Uh huh. And used it for something that's more meaningful. And more transferable as a as a as a field, or to advance something else. You're right.、Um, right. So that was that was really the core of <laughs> of my my thought on you know whatever it's something plus science. It is、mm-hmm. to use different science and apply it to that something. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. Right. So I、yeah. was I, I was you know. So when when I was reading a lot of data science、um, writings nowadays, because people in data science we're not data scientists at all, but、uh, we use. Oh, Ben is trying to be one. He's a Roger <laughs> Pang fanboy. Yeah,、so、I'm, a, I'm a Roger. Shout、Pang. out Roger Pang. <laughs> If you would ever listen to this, or any listeners that knows Roger Pang, you、oh、can crack him this podcast. <laughs> I hear about Roger Pang more often than anything else. <laughs> so, for, for the audience information, Roger Pang is a biostatistician, a professor in Johns Hopkins University. He made a lot、oh, of、yeah. great tutorials that helped me going、right. through grad school. And in, and in he, fact, yeah, no, go on. Yeah, so and he did a lot of、um, great videos and his book and everything helped me to. Write my code, and some of these stuff are really, I couldn't,、yeah. I couldn't do it with,、uh, I, I guess I could with other software, but I stick with fundamental kind of coding aspects, and, and that actually, really helped me a lot. Right,、uh-huh. and actually, Roger Pang and was it Elizabeth? They also have a podcast. Oh、um, yeah, so they have yes, a podcast, yes, which is where. Ben got his inspiration from, so you can tell he's a genuine fanboy. <laughs> yeah, so this, this put in the hood, the format and how we record and edit is <laughs> heavily influenced by another podcast called The Effort Report by Elizabeth Matsui and、yeah. Roger Pan. <laughs> yeah, and also I think data science is something that, like Ben, you personally.、Um, Like you, you read up on it outside of work, and you play with code, etc. Right? Yeah. So it's something that you're pretty passionate about. And then I'm, I'm gonna more sit back in this episode. I think he has a lot of insights to share. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the sensograph, gastrograph? <laughs> okay, it's 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 gastrograph. Okay, gastrograph. Okay, this is so so Ben is gonna start the second option. <laughs> He's gonna start.、Uh, he he graduated. He's gonna start working for this company in New York, but I always get the name wrong. So he can tell you the right name. Yeah. So this time. Well, it's I, I'm gonna work for this company called Astrograph. Astrograph uses、um, machine learning and artificial intelligence to、uh, predict and model human sensory and、um, sort of the flavors in food per se. And it's used for you know developing new food, optimizing existing food products for better fit in different demographics.、Um, not everybody tastes the stuff the same way, and with the help、mm-hmm. of data, 
and these um, available algorithms, they can do a lot of um, cool stuff with food formulations right. and processing recommendations and stuff. Yeah. So, um, I, I, you know, I don't, since I haven't started work yet, so I don't know a lot about my work. Mm -hmm. Are you allowed to talk about it or is it proprietary? I just don't have a lot to say. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, So I just want to maybe pull it off a little bit and talk about either actually talk about the bigger picture of, Mm -hmm. say, how food science now, like like food production and food research generates Mm -hmm. a lot of data. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it. So my, I used to have a lab mate. Her husband works um, on the production floor. And then you know how a lot of machinery, there's so many machinery on the production floor that constantly collects data, right? Oh, yeah. Be it the temperature of the kettle where your food ingredient is, you know, being poured into or the viscosity is something you're measuring, uh, et cetera. There's constantly a lot of things going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think... In the past, people might have checked it on a spreadsheet, and that's about it. Right. Um, but there's, I guess, more. There, there is more awareness about. Okay, we have a lot of data coming in, mm-hmm. and some of it might be actually really useful for improving our processes or cutting down costs. Like, what can we do about it? Right. Like, there's right, a right. lot more awareness in that area. Like the data, the data has existed for quite a while now, right? I wouldn't say uh, manufacturing manufacturing equipment has suddenly become super advanced or anything but it's it's more of an awareness and okay like we have we have these data and we have people who might not might might know what to do with them yeah um, well so i think it comes with multiple efforts first that you know the engineers of the food processing equipment they start to put on these loggers right and sensors for temperature mm-hmm. for and some people even put you know there are a lot of um, nowadays, a lot of um, optical sensors like uh, spectral uh, spectrometers and other um, scans that are available for specific tests. But that scan right. is there, right? You have to have the raw spectra to get something meaningful out of it. And they can also store that spectra, um, which could be potentially used for other stuff, more than mm-hmm. just to test how much water in that chip um, per se. Yeah, And, you know, and really, I want to, this is introduce another buzzword of these days is IOT, the Internet of Things. So mm-hmm. that, that is basically every device is hooked up to the Internet, per se. It not, it's, for example, your, your Google Home or your, your um, Apple speaker, whatever that's called, uh, yeah. or Echo, right? Uh, Amazon. Echo Dot. Yeah, Echo yeah. Dot. That, 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 that's a smart device because it's hooked up to the internet and it's communicating with the internet on, with the cloud almost at the real time, right? With the 5G implementations, it will be real time. So everything that mm-hmm. everything that can be controlled in the distance, you don't have to be at your kitchen to start your oven for your preheat. Um, this, this thing exists because... Internet can control all these devices at the same time, and device can communicate with each other. So you can tell your Google Home that please turn on the, the uh, Philips Hue light bulb, smart light bulbs in, in the bathroom, and that yeah. and that smart uh, device, the smart speaker, can talk to the internet, which is also connected to that light bulb, so that these these two things can talk to each other through internet. So this is sort of the Internet of Things, the idea. But right. it hasn't, manufacturers, as far as I know, it hasn't gone through that yet. So it's not yeah. totally Internet of Things, but we have a lot of uh, prerequisite checked already. For example, we can, all these instruments can collect and save data. They might not be online yet or on some kind of host server. It might just be local and it, overwrites itself by a certain period. They data only store for a week and it's overriding on it, whatever. Um, but now we, we, we have all these available and actually in bigger manufacturing plants, 
the R&D or the production manager can see from one single screen of what's going on in the entire um, processing floor, right? Temperatures of all different tanks, uh, flow rate, all these processing parameters are there. Right, and these are right. pretty typical. And I think the current opportunity of this is, like I said, is to implement the idea or the full idea of Internet of Things to connect all these devices together and build a either internal or external host service that can systematically analyze these data. And you can use it, you know, industrial engineers comes in and optimize cost, optimize uh, many different things. And you're uh, thinking of like a real time system where they can view what's going on straight away. They can view it and, you know, uh, but also it, that they're connected to each other. So are you see, are you thinking of, so, so I guess my question is what's the benefit of them being connected to each other? So you can do real time adjustments, for example. So I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about having a central hub and having different equipments connected to that hub. Uh, where an operator can see real time what's going on. I, 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 I get the idea from you when you said Internet of Things is that things are also connected to each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So how how would that benefit a manufacturing setting? Well, first of all, you can if everything is connected or they're, they're not physically connected. Right. They're only connected to the server. Right. 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 right, so, right. so the if you can if all the data from different equipment can be uploaded to the same server. Essentially, they're connected. So, so this is this is only outputs, data outputs to the server. Mm -hmm. And then the server makes all the decisions and right. export that decision as input to each of the device or manufacturing equipment. So, for example, I guess you can have a um, you can have a system ready to have structured data when you have a host. You can first of all collect all the structured data, right? With if you put everything with a timestamp, you understand what exactly happens at the moment. Right. And it's not just real time. You can look back. Right. And once you can look back, you can you can label all these data with, for example, cost. You can label it with a dollar sign. You can label it with a flavor profile, and you can label it with raw ingredient information. Right. So you can use all these to build models to optimize and to predict optimum processing or uh, composition formulation that you would want for a certain right. food that you want. So produce. there's actually more work being done in that case in the after data processing than anything like anything physical that's going on during the process, right? What you're talking about yeah, is... Yeah, yeah. Taking uh -huh. that data and then building a model and then using that afterwards to improve the process. Right, right, right. But then models can be iterative, right? So it doesn't have to be right. a fixed model. Models improve It can itself. constantly be, like new samples can constantly be added to improve it. Yes. Like I, I, I understand that part. So uh -huh. so in that in that sense, like if I, I'm just trying to think of it from a food manufacturing perspective, um, this is something that happens more afterwards or, or not afterwards. That's not the right word. This is something that has nothing to do as much with the physical infrastructure, but more of, like you said, building a model on top of it. So physical infrastructure still matters because you have to implement network. Right. right? But it like that's a fairly like that. That's basically about it. Yes, but that's that's complicated enough. I feel you don't mm -hmm. buy everything from one manufacturer, right? Equipment wise. Right. Plus all the quality control tools are dominated by some companies, but not still uniformed. So would you say the challenge is being able to somehow get all of that data, which is currently stored locally in whatever specific format the manufacturer wants it to be stored in mm -hmm. and then converting that to a usable format? Um, and then send, sending that to a central hub where that central hubs will collect information from that various different equipments around the plant and then make them into something that is um, that is common enough that it can all be combined together 
it right, used right. for a greater purpose. So, so I mean, there are you from this. Pro, I agree with this process, but there are a lot of challenges on top of what you, what you just said. Um, so, getting all the data together and make it a structured data that's useful for um for for data science because you know how data scientists jokes about how you know. 95% of their work is just to clean up the data. Right. Um, yeah, I've heard that one. Right, right. So, so like that's, data so that's wrangling is 90% of your time. Right, Actually, right, right. building your models. Data, yeah. Yeah. And all that. And making graphs is another like 10%. An actual model yeah. is maybe like really tiny bit of what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, anyways, this is one of the challenges just to get the data. And the other thing is, um, there are two more things I, I, I like to uh, I, I like to talk about. First is that who hosts this data? Because for a giant company, a food company, they could have their own data hub. They can right. build their own network with um, better internet coming soon. Assuming that this this five G thing is real and it's coming soon, people can have very fast available internet they can have all these uh, accessible uh, data from a central data hub um, mm -hmm. and this is technically very safe right you're doing everything internally nothing ble bleeds out of your system but that requires a lot of money and this data this data hub or this uh, host is it's going to be huge right mm -hmm. and this creates a lot of challenge. This is essentially a lot of infrastructural improvement. And and yes. this is one of the things. But if we're taking a different route, if we're using certain available um, uh, hosting sites, or for example, Amazon's AWS, that could technically work, but who owns the data, right? Amazon, and paying for Amazon, that's a lot of money too. And that right. investment wouldn't necessarily make sense for a small manufacturing plant who just produces mm -hmm. that amount of stuff, uh, um, maybe just like a co-packer or some, someone. Yeah. Right. And then when it's something that is proprietary or anything that deals with, you know, company intelligence, I think. Yeah, right. People and might who, be hesitant to send it to a third party. Right, right, right. And that's really one of, the, one of the reasons, at least even in academic research, um, I know the lab that I'm from, they want to do, uh, from Kansas State, they want to do some work with uh, the dairy industry on, you know, kind of a proof of concept projects uh, related to these IoT stuff. But one of the worries from the uh, from the industry is data security, right? Because yep. that yep. is everything. Technically, uh, virtually could make up a food manufacturing plant. Yeah, companies can be very secretive because sometimes, like people have definitely hopped from one company to another yeah. and brought a product idea and launched it at another company before the original company was supposed to launch it. So, like I can totally understand. Mm -hmm. And um, compared to just one concerns. product, this is everything, right? Yeah. I also feel like this is something that, I, like, I wonder if any companies are is already doing this on that big of a scale. I think I've heard stuff. Uh, I'm not so sure that's everywhere. Well, it's definitely not everywhere, let's just say that. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, there's a lot of challenges. There's a lot of challenges and roadblocks to implementing this, right? Right, right, so, right. So, like, I would say compared to other disciplines, so it, let's just strictly talk about food science in terms of manufacturing. Like, I think the initial cost is and, and the capital cost is a lot higher for um, the manufacturing plants to start implementing all of these, uh, all of these, processes these potentially new equipment but you know all of these pro th there there's a lot of because you for us on a food manufacturing setting we don't only think about how to deal with that data we're, we're we also have to talk about if we need to make changes to our current processes which are already really on a huge scale to be able to collect data mm -hmm. whereas compared to other disciplines um, that data is already out there 
right? Yeah, it's already so, on the internet so and it's something that is free thing. and doesn't need to be, you don't need to create tools or improve processes to capture, like you, to capture it better. Um, I agree. Yes. And that really is what um, another challenge is, is so once you have all these data, you have to label it or you have to create reference. But the reference is really expensive to generate. For Can example, you talk more about creating references? Yes. So, for example, the potato chip example, again, would be that if you fry this potato chip in a certain uh, processing parameter, like temperature, time, um, type of oil, and all that, right, you generate this potato chip. And if you want to make use of that processing parameter data, you need to know how exactly this potato chip tastes. Right, because that's what you're going for. Right. So then you have to run sensory tests, which are super expensive and very yep. difficult to conduct. Yep. So it's very hard. You can collect, and, and I mean, to collect all these data is just step one. To use it for something meaningful or to something that really is saving and making value, well, saving money and making value for a company, it's even harder. Right. Yeah, so this is. I mean, one that's of the, the challenge. Exactly, right? and this is in food, wildly in food, right? Because a lot of these rapid detection methods were is very attribute specific. We're just talking, let's say you're you're testing amino acid content in soybean or whatever. Yeah. Right. So yeah. this is like a very specific test, but you spend a lot of time on the reference method as opposed to collecting spectra, because spectra is just hit and click, hit and click. But for your reference yeah. method, you need to develop a database that's very friendly to um, to this model development process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is what really made food um, in general lagging in the data science game, in my opinion, is because right. there's nothing to train on. Even if you there's get all not these enough raw, there's not enough. I think there's not enough raw data for people to start playing around with. There isn't anything that is already on the internet that people. Well, there is some, but you know, vastly underrepresented compared to other disciplines. And a lot of food data. If we were talking about manufacturing and even other types of food data, a lot of it is like like they definitely exist, but they're private property. They're not oh, on the public sure. domain just for people to play around with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, right. I mean, you don't, and see, that I don't think it's a, um, I don't think it's a super big problem because of the uh, sort of the data science skills are very transferable from. Right, right. From no, they are transferable. I do agree. But think about, like, think about how, how, think about how everyone knows about the Titanic data set. Right, like well, anyone there's, there's who's a, a, a data no, I'm there. going somewhere right. with this. Okay, so, okay, you know how anyone, <laughs> anyone who makes a foray into data science knows about the Titanic data set. Uh huh. Like it, it's something that is pretty huge, and right. a lot of people who work with data science they're exposed to a lot of bio information, like genetic code or epidemiology information. So all of those things are out there but things about food science it's it's it's, it's not it's it's yeah and it's, i think that also because it's hidden less people know about it less people see examples of it and that definitely affects like that definitely affects how people choose what subject matter they want to yeah. foray into that's right. True. If you think about the intersection of food science and data science or data science and any other disciplines, let's talk about bioinformatics. Mm -hmm. So my friend who did his master's in bioinformatics told me that a lot of the, a lot of people in the program either came from a bio slash genetics background and they're learning how to code and do CS or mm -hmm. they come from a CS background. They're learning about the biology side of things. But like that's a field where data science is already very implemented and a lot of people know about it so there's a lot of interest in it and people you know there's people who is constantly 
thinking of new ways to, okay, how do we utilize this genetic data? Um, mm-hmm. What are some new ways we can play around with this or that? I think that's something that's, lacking in food science that's something that's lacking in food science and because like if you think about food science data what does that look like it can look like so many different things there's no one concrete picture and i think i don't know for for me it feels yeah go ahead what were you saying go ahead i lost my train of thought (laughs) okay sorry um didn't didn't mean to no no you're fine but i think i think exactly that's that's sort of the foundation of um people's interest in uh, data science and using data science in food. So, so there's, a, there's a problem with people as challenge. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I just feel, I just feel like there, are, there aren't a lot of exposures, at least from our undergraduate education, about using right. data. Right. Right. It wasn't a thing. And this could be if you talk to some like data science people, they were saying that, you know, data literacy is very lacking overall in, you know, secondary or post-secondary education. But it mm-hmm. doesn't it, it should be improved. But it's essentially, uh, well, I mean, specifically for food science, the exposure of data or exposure of using working with fairly large data set is essentially missing. Right. And, yeah. and I think I think it's just us because we work in chemometrics, so we know a bit of this big data thinking per se. Like mm-hmm. if, if people were in a different um, subject matter in say food chemistry, they probably wouldn't even have all of these. But the implementations again are from other disciplines and penetrating into food, right? Because you have genomic right. people that work on big data sets and studying that with food safety, uh, foodborne uh, bacteria. And you have mm-hmm. metabolomics coming from, um, you know, chemistry, analog chemistry set and trying to use that to understand food. And even chemometrics right. were not from food, right? So. Getting a data set for food specifically would not consist many of these instrumental data, but more of these processing data. Mm-hmm. And that data set, yeah, I've never seen that data set out anywhere. Right, right. But uh, I do think that, you know, what you said, it's true that in food science, I would say the the disciplines within food science that work the most with big sets of data are people working with for instance, NMR, metabolomics, um, people who work with uh, f- foodborne illnesses, looking at epidemiology data and looking at, you know, all, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely uses of it in those areas, right? And I guess because food science is so broad, it's hard for, it's it's hard to, there, there are so many ways that it could exemplify itself right 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 but see yeah that is nothing that is whatever those omics data per se or data data science um well how do we say this like omics is more of a scientific uh approach to to understand big data um but data science is more of a practical way at least that's how I understand. And the the true big data set hasn't been collected or published in the form of pure food-based stuff. Right, right. And I, I think it's also hard for us right now to imagine what that might look like because it's so wide, right? Yeah, it's so wide, but we can't blame on this wild. Right, right. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, if you're talking to plant biologists or microbiologists, they can just point to NCBI and they're like, hey, right. look up the genetic code and different genes and markers uh-huh. on there. And then like just from that, you have a lot of data to play around with. Yeah. Um, right. There isn't so, anything for food. That's true. Uh huh. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But I do think that in the areas of um, disease outbreak, related to food there has been a lot of advances in that area 
And actually, I did write a blog post about it last year around this time. Mm-hmm. Subtle plug for science meets food. <laughs> yeah. So, but so what I wrote about was essentially people using Yelp reviews to yeah, right. kind of track. Um, restaurants that have unsanitary practices, and also kind of track foodborne outbreaks. You know, mm-hmm. if multiple people ate at a restaurant over uh, a few days, and all of them got sick, and they tweeted about it or they wrote a Yelp review about it, you know, yeah, that's right. going to be extremely useful for pinpointing an outbreak. So, like, but once again, that's using data that's already out there on the yeah, interwebs. Yeah. So that that's a great example, I think, to. To illustrate what we just discussed, was that using Yelp data, first of all, it's available. It it's structured, or there are available tools to make it structured, and you have a clean label, right? You're just looking for either people get sick or right. not. So. Well, yeah, you're so very, the, yes. So it's very straightforward in that way, but for example, if you're looking at the same thing and you just want to see if um, a certain processing parameter will make a tastier food product. The, the the liking data or the sensory data is so hard to obtain. Right. Uh-huh. So so that's that that's what I think you know the challenge is. I, I know I, I'm kind of talking back to what we just said, but that, right, that just, right. but that just kind of reminds me uh, what currently where we are and where we hope to go. Yeah. Uh-huh. Are we talking about the last part? <laughs> Are we talking about point five now? No, I don't. I don't think we're at point five. By the way, we where, where a, are we? We're we so lost. A... I think we just went all over. <laughs> I think. I think we just kind of went on a lot of tangents, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But I don't even know what we covered and what we didn't cover. Yeah. So we should we should listen to our episode to learn how we yeah. talk about data science. I think like this, like. For this episode, I am coming in with a pretty blank slate. I don't know that much about data science, even though I've used some parts of it in my work. And mm-hmm. Ben probably knows about it more. But I think it's 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 a fairly new field, right? So a lot of people, including us, are still coming to grasp with it. And what you're seeing is essentially kind of our stream of consciousness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, as we try which to is kind of this. nice to bounce ideas off each other. Right. And, yeah, no. And maybe it'll be a bad episode for people who like just want to listen. <laughs> <laughs> and people are like, oh, I'm here and I want to learn everything about data science and food science. Sorry. Sorry. Not too much for today. Yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. just to come back to this, we have a lot of opportunities. Well, challenges are pretty much all opportunities, if you're optimistic. Um, <laughs> so I think we've, we've gone through a lot in terms of yeah. time. But yeah. what I just want to kind of wrap up, maybe just for future ideas, mm-hmm. would be like, how would you digitalize flavor and sensory perceptions um right give you an example is that so now we're talking into a microphone and the sound is being recorded in a form of computer code that can be played back later on a different device through the internet right you can transfer files and play it Mm -hmm. somewhere else it's a sound file a sound file same as pictures right you can take a picture send to someone in a digital form videos same idea but there's nothing for smile or flavor or sensory mm-hmm. you can't sign that data away very I easily think... at least not very easily not at the consumer level right you can do it with right PCMS. right right well um, you can also i mean this is not a perfect way right it, and it's not wholly representative right. the way perhaps a sound file like a sound file will probably sound the same to you and me, right? But sensory data has, I mean, a lot of sensory data is collected in the form of either words, descriptive mm-hmm. words, or in the form of numbers, right? On a scale of one to 10. Right, right, right. Of bitterness, intensity, and whatnot. I feel like that is also a way, I wouldn't say it's necessarily digitalized, but it is a way that it can be, cr- 
it, it, it is a way for it to be formatted into something which data science can play around with. Yeah, If right. you have numbers on a scale, mm-hmm. or even if you have descriptive words, right? There's definitely tools that data science provide which allows you to mine different words mm-hmm. for what you are looking for. Yeah, right, um, right, right. That's but natural like language you said, Exactly. Uh-huh. Um, but but it's not something, but let's say on a scale of one to 10, how much, how, how bitter do you think this flavor is? Your seven and my seven is going to be different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So most likely. So that's what I'm thinking is that because say, for example, microphones and cameras are devices to capture and standardize these other form of sense. Right. Right. And that can be, we can play that video to everybody and you, you might be colorblind and you're looking, your viewing of the same video is different from a normal people with normal vision. Right. Right. So, so that can, but, but see, there's electric, the electronic nodes available, right? Some of the based or optical based electric nodes that would be able to pick up different type of flavor compounds in 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 or in just in like headspace, and but that is just the input, right? You're because you need a microphone and speaker, right? You need a camera and a screen, right? The and input that's and output. The electric nose equivalent. But electric nose is good at inputting, or at least it claims to do some of this inputting, right? right? So you can collect all these data, but it cannot output it. You can't regenerate the smell. Right. Uh-huh. I think so, that would be really interesting if we have a way to actually capture that experience in a way that it can be replayed. Like a sound file can be replayed. Yeah. Right? That, that would, imagine like your Instagram food picture would have a smile Oh file my god, dude. <laughs> The world will go insane. I'm telling you, wow, yeah, right, that is right, right. a dream. And the future phone would have like a screen, a, a speaker, and some kind of you know outputting device. The way I think about it, I feel like instead of it being a thing where okay, like let's say you took a photo of like mala hot pot, <laughs> okay, because that's what I just ate. But let's let's just. Imagine you took a photo of that and then you captured the smell and I'll be able to smell it from the other side of the world. Uh-huh. I feel like instead of it being a thing where I can physically, like instead of being a thing where those aroma um, compounds are being dispensed into the air and I smell them, if we have mm-hmm. a device, this is kind of Black Mirror-esque, if we have a device that is attached to like our nerves yeah right <laughs> right somewhere mean, in our brain or, or so so really because what we care about is the sensory perception of that flavor or taste not necessarily that we have to reproduce the compounds that elicit that exactly response. yeah because that would be really cool but also really scary right, right, <laughs> to some right. people and, i'm sure and really that you know you using chemistry um, to explain flavor or sensory, it is it's just a media, right? It's just a medium, right? Right. It, it's not it, it's not an end goal. The right. end goal is it's all in the brain and in the in the actual perceptions, and That's even true. either words or chemistry um, are are both just media. They're just a it's a type of way to explain how you really perceived. Stuff. Right, right. So, so it's a way of know. us understanding it. It's as I, I think maybe, a, like a parallel will be the sound waves and frequencies of a sound file. But yeah. what we really care about is how it sounds like. Exactly so, right. Theoretically, from a data science perspective, you can analyze those sound waves. Right, those are essentially all data points. And you can use right. that. And you can once you digitalize it. You can use it for um, understanding the bigger picture because you've right. created so for instance, structured data. Right. So Spotify using that sound wave to decide, oh, you like pop music. I'm right, going to give exactly. you more pop music. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And this is this is where we're, we're really being futuristic on this part, yeah. at least. This is, this oh, my God. Be, so. 
this this should be an episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> I'm telling you, All right. like it needs to be a thing. Yeah, right. Cool. Okay, but I think that was a pretty long episode, um, and there's a lot of things left that we can definitely talk about. But and then it will become way too long. Yeah,、um, right. Our goal is to maybe at least stick with less than an hour or so. Right, right, and I think this is more a generative conversation than like a, a definitive one. We're not trying to say data science and food sciences this or that, but I think we're just trying to explore right now, for the most、mm-hmm. part, what what we think it is and what it could be. Um, so yeah, hope you enjoyed the episode. 